Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, Christos and Esti, my friends. The opening music was by Save, vocal group from the CD Native Angels by Save. This CD is so awesome. It has many spiritual songs and Native American instruments and Gregorian chanting. They're unlike anything you've ever heard, and I do like uh, this particular uh, tract. Uh, you can reach them at Save, S-A-V-A-E dot org. Uh, they also have a number where you can call and uh, find out where they're 
uh, new shows are 210-573-6335. And they're also on Facebook. And you can also listen to them for free on YouTube. And uh, as I got my CD on Amazon, you can find their CD on Amazon. And this is by Save in a CD entitled Native Angels. Good morning. Happy Father's Day. I'm your friend and host, Sharon McCain, and I'd like to welcome listeners to Sacred Sunday. Sacred Sunday was created to to just have a focus on the tenet that Sunday is a special day to set aside some time for spiritual focus, meditation, and prayer. All faiths are welcome. I am a Christian in recovery, and all Bibles are be out of the Ryrie Study Bible, but you may use any Bible you wish, of course. I have had many spiritual experiences and in gratitude. Uh, we have ongoing Bible readings every week, and we, we discuss another chapter. I'm just focused on being my real self and carrying the message given to me. And I, the call-in number, if you have any prayers you want, especially sent out this morning, uh, the call-in number is 619-924-9744 on Sacred Sundays. airs every Sunday morning, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And I want to wish my Heavenly Father, my Father who is in Heaven, and all the fathers uh, a special, very happy Father's Day today. And uh, my Father is in Heaven now, and uh, He knows that I love Him, and I know He loves me. And, of course, our Heavenly Father, and uh, Jesus, who is also our brother and father. Uh, let's do our opening prayer right now. And also, I want to mention, excuse me, my Uncle Louie. I love you, Uncle Louie, and I want to wish you all the best. And Uncle Louie's getting older and older, and I sent him a Father's Day card, and I'm always scared, you know, to uh, hear anything about him. He's my dad's older brother. He's now 86, and I love him very much. Okay, let's go for our opening prayer now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And we pray for all the Christians who are being persecuted worldwide. The freedom to worship and lives are in jeopardy. Those whose lives are taken for distorted or evil reasons. And for me, I believe that they've become martyrs. We pray for all those who are suffering from violence here at home and abroad. And, of course, the new shootings uh, that we're very upset about in that church. God bless everybody. We know that you're in, a martyr in heaven, and we're so sorry that, to your family who I know are grieving. And God bless you all. We pray for those who are sick in mind and body, those who are lonely and uncomforted. Forgive us, God, for our sins. We pray for those suffering from domestic violence in their own homes and freedom from addiction of all kinds. We also please, God, send your archangel Michael to fight against evil and protect them and all your angels to watch over everyone. Our prayers go out to all those who suffer in the world, including the animals who can't speak for themselves. We also pray for the wisdom of our president and all the rest of our policymakers. They have many decisions to make, and we are praying for all the countries for problems of suffering all over the world. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We ask Jesus to bless us and help us grow under his care. 
everyone and their family are in our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to wish everybody a happy birthday today. And again, a happy Father's Day if uh, this is your day. And anybody that's having an anniversary today, and I also want to congratulate all the recent graduates uh, marching on, going to school, and uh, getting on to college, and some are just going into high school. But I want to wish all of you kids and and, uh, grown-ups that uh, just keep on going with your education because we certainly believe in that. more education, the better. Okay. So now, uh, please, let's see... Okay, you can find your Bible online if you don't have one there. It's www.biblegateway.com, or you can go to www.biblia.com. Okay, so let's see. We're on uh, Corinthians chapter chapter 8 today, but I'm going to have to look for a minute and find my notes on chapter 7 from last week. And uh, I'd like to thank uh, www.swoop.com for helping us with uh, with all with all their uh, with all, just all their help and notes and everything else. I'm having a little hard time correcting getting to my notes from last week, but I'll get there. Hold on a moment, please. In the meantime, everybody, turn your Bibles. To First uh, Corinthians chapter eight, and it's a discussion concerning food offered to idols. And remember, last week it was about uh, uh, the right place for sex and uh, marriage and all that stuff. So uh, I know that's what I'm trying to find right now. I really had it, but then my uh, computer crashed. So um, that's what happens. So let me try my bookmarks. When this happens and, and you know, this show's live, you know, I'm so embarrassed every time it happens. But um, I know it's going to be all right. Okay, I'm almost there. So please be patient. Maybe you can say a little prayer for me so I can get in the right spot here. Oh, boy. Okay, so. I'm trying. Okay, please hold on. Finally. There we go. I'm almost to the page, and I want to thank you all for for coming in every Sunday. I know that you're listening to uh, this uh, Sunday morning service and archive, and I want to let you know that I appreciate your persistence with me and persevering and reading the Bible and showing up and praying every Sunday morning. Because I know it's a task for some of us. You know, we'd rather be doing something else, going to have coffee at Starbucks and, you know, chilling. But uh, for me... This is what we're supposed to be doing, and uh, I'm trying to do it, and I seem to be uh, consistent. So we have made it all the way through the Gospels, and now we're up to 1 Corinthians, and I'm waiting for Chapter 7 to queue in. Okay, let's see here. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, First Corinthians chapter seven summary. Well, you remember that last time what we were talking about. Now Paul starts to address some of the things that the Corinthians wrote to him about. Apparently, they had a lot of questions about sex. Paul tells them that if people can't stop themselves from getting well, getting it on with each other, that they might as well get married. Well, okay then. Once married, men and women should not withhold sex from each other. This can lead to temptation, and that's no good. Of course, Paul isn't thrilled to have this advice, to give this advice. He's a bachelor, and he thinks everybody should be shrugging off sex like him. But he realizes not everybody is going to be able to live up to his level of awesomeness. So if you're single or you're a widow, Paul's advice is to stay that way. But if you can't, well, keep it in your pants, put a ring on it. Anyway, rules for marriage. Gosh. So since the unmarried Paul has clearly established himself on the expert of marriage, he continues, Christians are married to unbelievers, should not divorce their spouses as long as a non-believer, the pair, is fine in living with a Christian. They should be with it. It's cool. Yes, in the last chapter, having sex with a prostitute made you a prostitute, but don't worry. A Christian house actually makes a non-believing spouse holy. Now, we've got to remember that, that we actually, our actions make our spouse holy. So don't give up. Don't ask Paul to explain how. And if you're lucky, you might actually be able to convert your non-believing spouse to Christianity. Try something like, when are you going to take out the trash and accept Jesus as Lord? Really, what it all comes down to is what Christians do about their current situation. If you're married or a virgin or a slave even, that's what it says in the Bible. So what's with that deal? Paul thinks that Christians should just let it be. If you're circumcised, then don't try to change it. Same thing if you aren't circumcised. Don't go cutting off a perfectly good foreskin for the sake of Jesus. That stuff doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is living for God. If you're a slave and converted to Christianity, then stay a slave. Oh, oh well, that's, that's not right nowadays. This is 2,000 years ago. Uh-huh. The good news is that even though you're a slave, you're a free person in God's eyes. And this does, we do have slaves in this day and time still in 2015. So this is still important, and this Bible is always fresh and new and important and relevant. Okay, yeah, more about marriage, more advice. This time for virgins. Thinking about getting married? Think again. Married people have all kinds of problems. They have to worry about each other all the time, paying the bills, cleaning the house, getting the kids in rope, and the most precious chair racing program. But unmarried people can just keep their eye on the prize. If with God, that is, if you're not thinking about sex. The end of the world is coming soon, Paul explains, so soon that none of this stuff is going to matter. God is going to swoop in and wipe it all away and give faithful Christians their reward. So that's the part that I want you to remember is that God is going to swoop in and wipe this all away and give faithful Christians a reward. So hang in there. Do the right thing. That's why it's better to keep your focus on the big guy rather than trying to snag Mr. Right. Oh, excuse me. I'm getting excited. Anyway, Paul is not saying that marriage is actually sinful or bad. It's just to avoid it if you can. That's just the way Paul feels about it. Remember, if you just have if you just have some kind of sex fiend and can't enjoy can't stop or control yourself, go ahead and get married and stay married and be faithful. But if you're able to keep the sexy times under control, then that's way better. You're more blessed if you stay single, Paul says. 
But like a typical man, Paul could not commit. So there. Anyway, so that's the notes from last week. So let's go ahead and get our Bible out. And we're going to read chapter 8. And I want to thank you and God bless you for tuning in. The discussion concerning food offered to idols. Inquiry. May a Christian eat food consecrated to a pagan god? 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all acknowledge Knowledge becomes arrogant, but love edifies. Let me read that again. Now, concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to the idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world that there is no God but one. And even if there were so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, for whom all things we and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom we are, whom are all things and we exist through him. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some being accustomed to idol to the idol until now, eat food as if it as if it was sacrificed to an idol, and their confidence being weak is defiled. But food will not co- not commend us to God, and we are neither worse if we do not eat, or nor the better if we do eat. But there, but that care that but take care that this liberty of yours is not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak, for if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in the idol's temple and not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to the idols? For through your knowledge he who is weak is ruined, and the brother for those sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble." So this is uh, very important because, as we know, the food issue, the food controversy is a well and alive, you know, in our current time. There's a lot of people that are vegetarian. Uh, personally, I'm not a vegetarian. I'm on a, a low-carbohydrate, high-protein diet. Uh, we everybody has food allergies and there's all kinds of things going on. So food, you know, meant a lot back in the day, of course, and it's even more so now. And uh, it's quite amazing that to me how the Bible stays perfectly relevant and has so much to teach us. So in the notes, let's read the notes before I give my opinion on this. Okay, things sacrificed. The remainders of animals that had been sacrificed to the heathen idols. If the offering offering was private, the remainders were claimed by the offerer. If public, they were sold in the market. The questions discussed were concerning what a Christian should do about buying such meat, eating it when served to him at a banquet, 
whether to eat in the temple of an idol. There is no such thing as an idol in the world. Yet Paul recognizes that there are those things are so-called gods, that demons can be behind idols. And then uh, talking about being at liberty to eat. And probably refers to some function or festival and uh, ruined, but his spirit life is, is ruined when you uh, tempt or eat in front of him. Or if you're going to make the person sick, uh, refrain from eating. Uh, if you're with a vegetarian household, do not bring your steak along. You know, don't be a stumbling block for others. Okay, so this year, uh, it said, there's a great principle that regulates conduct in morally indifferent matters. It is the principle of love voluntarily regulating liberty. So let's read that again. It says, here is the great principle that regulates conduct in morality. Oh, okay, wait, wait, I'm sorry. Let me do it again. Here is the great principle that regulates conduct in morally indifferent matters. Because to Paul, it's indifferent. But it is the principle of love voluntarily regulating liberty. So we have the liberty to do whatever we want. But voluntarily, we were regulated on behalf of others. So that goes in for most things. If not everybody can be sitting up there doing what you're doing. You know, let's say you're a blessed Christian. Remember that blessing. Remember your great liberty. And don't be a stumbling block for others. And we could probably have a pinch of conscience that will tell us when we're doing right from wrong, and we have to learn to separate that. So that is uh, the end of uh, our reading for today for that. And uh, let's see. So the, the example is be a good example even though we're at liberty to do what we want, we do want to be uh, polite to those around us. And uh, actually we do that because we don't want to hurt them or make a stumbling block or be a bad example as a Christian. And we don't pressure anybody into doing what we're doing. We'll just refrain uh, from and try to uh, go as long as far as food's concerned. So I'm sure they were at festivals. And what they were saying is what was left over was sold at the market. And, uh, well, you know, people bought it, probably sometimes unknowingly. So I'm going to read a little story. But first I want to – I have a, a a Bible promise book for tough times. And this is a what my best friend, she gave this to me. And, you know, I've been reading it and uh, – it's uh it's really good. It's just a little tiny book and uh, but it has a lot of uh, blessings in there and in times of need and everything else. So I'm gonna just randomly pick uh, what what the topic will be. Let's see. It says loneliness. When you cannot feel God's presence, I go east, but He is not there. I go west but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I look to the south, but he is concealed. He knows He knows where I'm going. Job 23, 8-10 I know the Lord is always with me, and I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. That's Psalm 16, 8 And God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. That's from Hebrews 13, 5 and then come close to God, and God will come close to you. 
James 4, 8, meaning you come close to God even in these hard uh, times, and if you're against that hard rock, you still snuggle up to God, and he'll snuggle up to you. That's the way I feel about that. Well, anyway, I'm going to find a little story out of here. You know, I'm big on guideposts, and I really love these stories. And, uh, okay, this is kind of incredible. Uh, I'm just going to read this. It's just random, but I'm going to read it anyway. Okay. It's called The Call for Help by Teresa Morell Hudler. Uh, she's of Waldorf, Maryland. A rainstorm had just ended in late January 1968 morning when the UH Huey helicopter settled into the mud by the 12th evacuation hospital in Chi Chi, Vietnam. The copter was a troop carrier, a slick, not a medvac type we were used to. It was full of wounded men only minutes before it had been in battle. Their comrades had hastily loaded and flown them to us, and most would remain with us, but the urgent cases would be flown to another unit not far from Chuchi. Nurses and medics ran under the rush of blades to lift the wounded through the open sides of the helicopter. Triage was begun. There was a sickly smell of blood and mud and the shouts of medics and the moaning of men in pain and downwinding whine of a chopper's engine. I had just finished a 12-hour shift. I should have been healed, headed back to the hooch. The nurse's barracks, but someone called to me. Lieutenant Morell, come here, please. Tell us what to do with this one. I sloped through the mud to a medic standing beside a low stretcher. Crouching beside the soldier on a stretcher, I observed a massive head wound. He would die if we had not get him to a head trauma unit. I motioned for the IV equipment and leaned toward the soldier's ear. Do not worry, sweetheart. We'll get you out of here, and we'll get you someplace safe. Just hang on. Glancing up through the confusion, I saw crew members heading back to their slick. Wait, I yelled. We have to take this man on and take him up north. I jumped to my feet and ran toward the copter, waving. The pilot glanced at his crew, flying the wounded was not their usual duty. He looked back at me and nodded. Soon hands lifted the litter and slid it to the opening chopper loading it against a projecting bulkhead near the rear. It took looked up but all but a few inches of width from the chopper's floor. The door gunners, heads bulky and huge protective helmets, climbed into narrow benches behind the litter, facing outwards, sliding in behind mounted M60 machine guns. This was not common for nurses to fly evacuation runs, and I had never been in a copter before, but there was no one else to free to go. I scrambled up to the middle floor behind the pilot in the co-pilot seat. Someone tossed me a flat jacket and a standard steel pot helmet. I noticed the gunners and pilots hooking their helmet headsets into connectors. The crew would now be able to communicate with each other. I had no headset, no ear protectors. My helmet flopped back and forth as I struggled to snap the flat jacket over my fatigues and then checked the patient's IV and was securely attached to a hook overhead. The co-pilot told me to bang on his seat if I needed something once we were airborne, that he would swing, swing his helmet mic out so I could speak into it. I sat down flat on the vibrating middle floor, my back to the pilot's seat. The doors had been left open, and it was as if the chopper had no sides. Sweat trickled down my face and under my uniform. 
I watched a patient closely as the engine wound up to a full pitch. The helicopter lifted slowly just above the trees and the noise dropping a bit. It moved forward and we were flying. The engine and rotors throb in the metal roof and the wind rushed past the open doors. The sounds were deafening. The roar increased as we began to move 100 miles an hour. We bobbed just above the contours of the terrain, up over the jungle and down and over the paddies and canals. Suddenly, the pilots shouted something about enemy troops below. Simultaneously, the gunners opened up their machine guns. The pilot began to fly evasive maneuvers, banking the copper steeply, first to one side, then the other. The staccato pounding of the gunfire and the roar of the wind and the wind of the engine mixed in an ear-splitting crash. I forced myself to concentrate on my patient. Hours earlier, I had begun my, my daily visit to the chapel area. Now I prayed again, crying silently, Oh, dear God, don't let my patient die in all this. Let us get him to a safe place. Suddenly I noticed I.V. had come loose on his arm. He would die. I banged on the pilot's seat to get him to level off, but he did not hear me. I clawed across the pitching deck to the litter, and I leaned over to reach for the I.V. needle. My helmet slipped forward. It would come off and hit the wounded man. I pulled it off one hand and flung it behind me. Now I was bent over helmetless, tearing tape with my teeth, and in one hand, trying to hold the IV with the other, screaming silently over and over, Oh, dear God, please don't let him die. Don't let him die here. Suddenly, the gunner on my left stopped firing. He pivoted sharply, 90 and bent over until his head covered mine, and his mouth was within an inch of my ear. Why is he here? Does he want to speak to me? I wondered when the split second he posed poised there. There was a ping and a pang, and a bullet headed from my left temple ricocheted off his helmet with enough force to knock him out. The gunner slumped unconscious over me and my patient. His weight was suffocating us, and I shoved his body to the left, and he rolled onto the litter handles, inches from the open door. I don't know if he was tethered or secured in any way or not. I grabbed him with my left hand, still holding the IV needle with my right, and I was crying. Oh, dear God, he's falling out, and don't let him fall out. Help us, dear God. The prayers screamed through my heart. It was a little while, a minute, an hour, before the gunner realized what happened. He spoke to the pilots with his mic, and they broke off firing and flew straight to the hospital. We landed. I unclenched my clamped fingers from the gunner's fatigues and the patient's ID. IV. Medics pulled the gunner down and placed him on a stretcher and slid the patient's lid to the ground. I headed first to my patient. The IV was still attached and he was stable, still alive. I touched his arm. Peace, I whispered. He was rushed off and I never learned if he survived. I ran to the other litter and bent over the gunner, grabbing his wrist, suing for a pulse. With his helmet off, there was no sign of a wound. In fact, he was only dazed. His eyes opened he focused on me as I bent over him. What is it, he asked. What do you want? This was a soldier whose helmeted head covered my bare one in a single bullet-splintered second. I just looked at him. What did he mean? He spoke again, struggling to rise up on the elbow. You called me. Oh, my God. A few days later, the gun and I talked over what happened. The Tet Offensive was now fully underway, and he offered me the bullet-scarred helmet as a souvenir, but I insisted that he keep it. I do not remember his name. But over the years, it even impressed, impressed most of my Vietnam memories. 
I always remembered that I needed protection, and the gunner heard my call for help. So loud and clear, the cacophony of noises in the helicopter, he stopped firing and been down to see what I wanted. Tearing tape with my teeth, I had not spoken a word. I only prayed in silence to a God who heard and understood me. And this story means so much to me because I'm estranged from my husband the past six years. We've been married 27 years. And he was at Chu Chi in Vietnam. He's also been exposed to Agent Orange. It has overcome many cancers with the help of God and the Blessed Mother. He has recovered to this day. Right now, I'm brokenhearted because this just this morning, I had all his medals in my hand, medals that he has resented and didn't care about, but I had cherished. And I just got on Facebook and messaged his son, do you want your father's medals? And I know that you would care about them like I do, which I do. So at this time, I'd like to pray for my estranged husband. God bless you, Phil. I'm sorry the way things are turning out. But God bless you in every way. And I hope you have a healing for your alcoholism, your anger and rage. From your post-traumatic stress syndrome from the Vietnam War and the healing for the many cancers you have had and overcome. I ask for your forgiveness for my part that I did wrong in this. And I'm trying to forgive you right now for what you're doing. I do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why? Okay. Um, let's see. Um, thank you for tuning in this morning. My God bless you. God bless all the people at service, all the fathers who can't get home, to the children that are fighting the war for us. I want to thank you so much for all your duty and all the things you have done, for all the families and how you're the leader in your family, yet you can't be with your children. God bless you, Father, serving overseas or serving anywhere where you're not near your families right now. We know that we pray for you and God loves you and thank you for your service and happy and blessed Father say to you all, God bless you. Let's say our traditional closing prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Please come back next week, and we'll have another Bible study. We'll be going on 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In closing, may God bless and keep you in his loving arms that you may have the strength to face whatever is ahead. Remember that you're never alone. God loves you. May your best dream come true. May true love live in your heart. Thank you so much for tuning in this morning. It's a beautiful day, or it's a beautiful evening if you're elsewhere in the world. And I God bless you and want you to have a wonderful day. Amen.